Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am Paul Caputo, sportslogos.net minor league baseball correspondent, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. Normally on this podcast, we talk about one team and we'll talk to someone from the team, we'll talk to the designer, we'll talk to, you know, sort of a, a third party that has something to do with the subject matter at hand. But every once in a while, I love to bring on a, a designer to just talk about the field of graphic design, the work that they've done in minor league baseball in particular. And so with that in mind, it is, uh, I'm very happy to be joined today by Sky Dillon, who is the founder of Sky Design Studios, who you will know from teams like the Ashboro Zookeepers, the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, and the Tri-Cities Chili Peppers. So Sky, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Well, I've been following your work for a long time. I've gotten to write about you on sportslogos.net. And, you know, we've we've exchanged emails and I've quoted you a couple of times in articles. But this is the first time we've gotten to really speak like sort of face to face here. So it's always a thrill for me to to talk to logo designers before we get into some of the teams that you've you've worked with. I just want to talk about sort of how you got involved in in the industry of, of sports branding. Yeah, it started very early in life for me. It was a uh, an early passion of mine as a young kid. I grew up in northern Maine, uh, really the, the edge of civilization, if you will, <laughs> above uh, Bangor is probably the closest major city that folks have recognized. Grew up on a 300-acre farm, dead-end dirt road, no internet, no cable television. And so uh, imagination was really the key to daily life up there. And so uh, growing up in the early 1990s, we look forward every weekend to whatever the national NBA game would be or the national MLB game would be or football or whatnot. And the scarcity of those experiences really uh, helped kind of fuel that uh, passion of mine for first sports. And then as, as that love for sports grew, uh, immediately began to uh, notice how each of these uh, personalities uh, that were competing and the teams that were competing were identified by these very distinctive logos. And so uh, that was essentially my, you know, first uh, inroad to, to the design field. Didn't realize that there were actual companies designing those logos <laughs> at the time. It was really just something that uh, I would spend long hours, whether it was at school during class or on my own free time at home when I was done with the farm chores, uh, recreating these iconic logos from the different leagues. In fact, I would uh, draw them each on a uh, scrap paper that my dad would bring home from his law office and pin up these 10 foot long banners on my wall that would have hundreds of different minor league and professional team logos drawn on them and just study the idiosyncrasies and nuances of each one before I would fall asleep at night. And uh, that was really my canvas that I would use to draw all of these different sports logos. Um, when I was also growing up, uh, my mom was an elementary school teacher uh, before she had us, uh, uh, three other siblings. So uh, she retired from school teaching and was a stay-at-home mom, um, but she carried over that same uh, essence of being a, uh, an elementary school teacher into our childhood. And so she essentially was branding with the different themes around the house throughout the year. So very heavy holiday themes uh, we had a calendar in the living room that uh, would change based on uh, the different months. And so the different themes and typography that she would use to create those bulletin boards would change based on the month. And then we had uh, each summer we would go to 
uh, our family's camp, which was uh, in on the border of of Maine and, and Canada, really way way up in the Northeast. And uh, uh, part of the adventure each year was having themed T-shirts where uh, we called it Loon Camp, uh, and and each year we would be a different a different mascot. So one year we were the bullfrogs, one year we were the moose, another year uh, we were the uh, bumblebees. And so uh, as kids, we would each year tell my mom, we would vote on what we wanted to be for that particular year. And then she would use fabric paint and buy t-shirts that were all the same colors and basically uh, design these custom uh, t-shirts uh, for each of us to wear that year with our names on the back and, and, uh, um, in the form of almost, you could say, alternate logos. So for example, when we were the Bullfrogs, we had Loon Camp 2000, or uh, let's say Loon Camp uh, 1994 Bullfrogs with a bullfrog on the front. And then on the back, a small lily pad in the upper right hand shoulder with uh, our initials in that, in that lily pad. Uh, so it, didn't even realize it at the time, but my mom was essentially... Uh, doing branding in in the same way that a lot of sports teams had begun to uh, not only have the, the primary logos, but also these secondary logos that they would use on their uniform. So uh, I guess to answer your question in a long form uh, way, it was something that I had an early passion for even before I realized it was something that you could do professionally. Mm -hmm. So who were your growing up in Northern Maine? Were you a, a New England sports fan? See that that would be the uh, the immediate guess instinctively, but I was very countercultural. I wanted to stand out. I already, <laughs> so you know, all my friends at school were Red Sox fans, Bruins fans, Celtics fan, Patriots fan. Very predictable. Sure. With a name like Sky and my middle name is Disney, I had to really stand out in this in this area as well. So my uh, favorite baseball team was the California Angels at the time, in large part due to Angels in the outfield having. Uh, a pretty big influence on pop culture for my particular generation at the time. Yeah. Kansas City Chiefs were my favorite football team. The Knicks <laughs> were my first love, my first basketball team that was birthed from, again, like I mentioned, those single national NBA games they would broadcast at the time the Knicks and the Pacers were at the height of their rivalry. And so I was instantly drawn into that, nice. uh, into that rivalry and captivated by the blue and the orange that the Knicks wore. So uh, and then later on, the Jaguars became my <laughs> my second NFL team because at 12 <laughs> years old, you're allowed to switch allegiances. And whatever they were trying to do with that teal color scheme to appeal to the younger generation, it worked because I uh, uh, bailed on the Chiefs for the time being and, and joined the Jaguars uh, fan base. So my whole approach was it was all about the identities for me. If you had a great identity, then you were a potential candidate to be my favorite team. Now, with that said... This is, after all, a minor league baseball podcast, and I would have to note that this non-regional favorite team formula did not hold true when it came to my favorite minor league team. The Portland Sea Dogs were the closest affiliated team to where we lived. It was a couple hours drive, but one of my uh, best friends growing up, uh, his... I believe uncle was part of the ownership group there. And so every summer his family would invite me to kind of road trip down there for the day and check out a sea dogs game back when they were rocking the, the teal and the black as Marlins affiliates. So um, uh, during those road trips, that's when 
uh, from the game programs, uh, I would draw all the different Eastern League team logos at the time, Norwich Navigators, Akron Arrows, New Haven Ravens, uh, all kinds of uh, Bowie Bay Sox. Uh, so some classic teams from back then. But that was really that was really my my childhood from a minor league baseball perspective was checking out those Sea Dogs games. And there was a period of time where we briefly had uh, a relatively local team about 30 minutes from where I lived, the Bangor Blue Ox, which were, I believe, a Can-Am League team at the time. They, uh, again, very short stints before they eventually moved, I think, to Canada but and, and changed their name altogether. But so the Bangor Blue Ox and the Portland Sea Dogs, those were my, those were my uh, minor league teams growing up that, again, broke, the, broke that non-regional favorite team formula. Were there other brands from your childhood that, that stood out, not necessarily as favorite teams, but just, just brands that you remember being uh, you know, sort of striking or, or that you noted? Well, an interesting story for you. The, the Minnesota Wild had always been, that was really when I was um, maturing more as a designer at the time. <laughs> I want to say that was the early 2000s, late 90s. I would have been a teenager. And I just loved the clever integration of the um, that wilderness scene within mm -hmm. that bare head silhouette. I just thought it was a very unique way to display a team name. And so that was always uh, a logo that stood out to me in that sense that elevated it to a place where it was still cool, but it had that classic clever feel to it and kind of a fun side note on that. I, at the time I was just getting my feet wet with beginning my own business at 12 mm -hmm. years old. And so <laughs> for, for an eighth grade independent study project, I reached out to the Los Angeles Clippers because when I was assessing all the professional team logos, there stood out to me as the one that needed the most help. Hmm. And so I sent a letter to Elgin Baylor, who was the GM <laughs> at the time, and had a whole set of designs that I was proposing and you know, basically explained to him how I thought this would increase their revenue sales <laughs> and their uh, fan engagement. Needless to say, I got a thanks, but no thanks. But it definitely showed me that the world is a lot smaller uh, than I had originally envisioned it. It's really sure. one phone call away. You can connect with these teams. And so that following summer is when the Minnesota Wild had announced their name. And so I thought this is my opportunity to do an NHL team logo at 13 years old. Yeah. So I reached out to them with a series of designs that looking back, I'm very glad that they did not go that route and they went the route that they did. So that was a right. good lesson in letting the seasoned designers take care of those higher profile projects while still honing my skills and preparing for whenever I would have that opportunity later <laughs> on. Well, and I know that you've done a lot of work with uh, colleges and universities. This is a podcast about minor league baseball. Uh, we've already mentioned the the Chili Peppers and the Ferry Hawks and the Zookeepers. There are you know other teams that you've worked with. I, one of the ones I that I really just absolutely love that's been a favorite of mine for a long time that I think that you did in in 2015 is the New Britain Bees. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that was one of my early articles that I did with, with sportslogos.net actually was just sort of a, you know, sort of a short, Hey, this, you know, the, the rock cats left, they're going to be this weird team called the yard goats in Hartford. Right. And so now there's another, there's a new team that's come into to new Britain, Connecticut, and, uh, and it's called the bees. Can, can you tell me how you got involved in that project and sort of what your thinking was? I, and one of the things that, that I sort of note about this is the character is just adorable, right? Like the little bee guy <laughs> is, is completely adorable and 
Uh, and I know that there were some other bees teams already, right? Like you had the Burlington bees and you had the Salt Lake bees. And so there's all, there are already bees in minor league baseball at this time. And then new Britain is coming in with another bees identity. So what did you do to set it apart from those two? And uh, you know, how did you get involved in that project? Yeah, it's a great question, especially noting those other B identities. We came into this project, we were hired by Frank Bolton and Mike Pfaff, who were um, leading the, the ownership for that particular franchise. And so the name was already decided. They, uh, their their uh, city motto uh, was centered around this idea of a beehive. Mm-hmm. And so New Britain Bees, uh, from their perspective, was a no-brainer for the name. And so that was the, what we were presented with as far as a creative brief, build an identity around the name Bees, and, you know, from our perspective, certainly we brought to the table, somehow this has to stand out from those other B identities. And so we really leaned into the culture of the town, which they have this moniker as being the hard, hardware city, mm-hmm. um, based on a lot of tool tooling companies and hardware companies that are, were based out of New Britain still to this day. And so we wanted this uh, identity really to have this fine balance between uh, kind of a hard-hitting, uh, hardware city, uh, chiseled metal field to some of the typography balanced with this fun-loving character that would appeal to, you know, families and children and kind of this, this uh, more youthful demographics. Sure. In Burlington and uh, Salt Lake, the bee connection, the hive connection is, you know, relates to the, the Mormon church. Whereas in New Britain, that's not the case. It's just their motto, you know, the, the city motto is something like, you know, as, as, as busy as a beehive or, or something like that. And so, you know, there is a, a sort of different reasoning behind why they're the bees than in, in Burlington and, and Salt Lake City. But the, the that sort of juxtaposition of the, the hardware-esque type, you know, the sort of gritty hardware style type industry related. And then, you know, this, this is this really cute little guy playing baseball, this little baseball guy playing, playing baseball. That's, that's long been one of my favorite brands. How, how thoroughly entrenched in minor league baseball branding were you when you did that one? How many others had you done previous to that? So we had done a couple of other uh, teams. Uh, well, we did what at the time, only one other, we'd done the Bluefish in the Atlantic League at the time. They had had a long identity since their inception in the late 90s, and they were looking to introduce an alternate identity uh, to kind of stimulate some fan engagement. And so we built this new identity around uh, the concept of calling them Magic City uh, in reference to P.T. Barnum, his home being in, in Bridgeport, his museum is right there in Bridgeport, the greatest show on earth with his traveling circus. Uh, a lot of those lined up well with the essence of minor league baseball. And so we really uh, had uh, a blast creating this alternate identity with their same colors and fish theme, but through the lens of this, uh, you know, alternate logo with the globe of the globe of the world, the star on Bridgeport, just like he had his greatest show on earth with that globe. Um, and a variety of other marks that played into the, the key lights of a circus, uh, circus marquee, et cetera. So we had done that work for them. We did a variety of all-star game logos for, the, for different minor leagues. Um, and uh, the majority of our work up until that point had been with the Coastal Plain League, which is where I got uh, a lot of early projects when I was in college and, and just out of school, um, working on teams like the Wilson Tobbs, the Florence Red Wolves, uh, Holly Spring Salamanders. Uh, and uh, a variety of all-star game and event identities for them, such as the Pettit Cup uh, along the way. So to that point, those were the products I worked on in baseball. I got away from a, a little bit the, uh, I, I, got, I started 
you know, got all excited and delved right into talking about some of the teams that you've been working on. <laughs> uh, I, I meant to ask you about Sky Design Studios and and when you founded that. I mean, we, we got up to when you were about 13 right. uh, designing <laughs> logos for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, but then, uh, you know, uh, there's there's a, somewhere between designing logos for the Minnesota Wild at, at age 13 and the logos we just talked about. You founded Sky Design Studios. When When did that happen? So my freshman year of college was 2004 in my dorm room at Campbell University, fighting camels. Uh, I needed a way to pay my way through school. And I was also very ambitious. I already knew what I wanted to pursue as a career path. As I noted, six years old, I already had a good idea. This is what I wanted to do. So that was the official founding date of Sky Design in 2004. And as I mentioned before, the projects at the time were focused a lot on smaller colleges in the area, smaller minor league teams that were approachable. At the time, sportslogos.net actually had a very busy forum for contests. And so uh, this was prior to social media or any other ways that you could connect directly with owners without having to send a letter in the mail. And so a lot of times GMs for different minor league baseball teams or football teams would go on there, very small budgets, very short timelines, uh, but basically presented younger designers with an opportunity, or I guess anybody who was on that forum with an opportunity to participate in design contests, where if they picked your design out of the you know different submissions that were created, then you would get paid for that design and be able to put that work in your portfolio. So I was very active on those Creamer boards back in the day. Shout out to Chris Creamer for uh, having that platform in the first place and yep. allowed me to get my feet wet and gain yep. some real world experience. I was a fan of Chris Kramer's site before I started writing for it. So that was uh, that was surreal for me in 2014 when he reached <laughs> out and said, hey, you want to come write for me? So so when you go into a, a logo project, I know that, you know, different designers have have different ways of doing this. I mean, there are some some design firms out there who, uh, you know, have, I think, the luxury of, of spending, you know, a week in a city and meeting all the people. And, and then there are some who just sort of get handed a, a name and a concept and just sort of formalize it. Uh, what is what is your process? I know that you've done some character-based logos. So do you start with character? Do you start with the type? Do you start with the color palette? What's what's your your personal process for creating a brand when when a client comes to you? Well, it, I mean, before any of those visuals even take place, it starts with understanding the client, understanding their story. So we have a three-step process, probably very similar to a lot of other agencies. Um, you know, it's not really about those steps as much as it is about the imagination that is engaged throughout those steps to really uh, think of what those ideal solutions are. So we start out with a discover phase where you know, we spend time conversing with the client, typically traveling to meet with them in person, get to know uh, kind of their town, get a feel for the vibe there, and really learn about their history and what they're trying to achieve with the project. And then once we go through that step, we move into the define phase, which is where we will come back with a list of recommendations and key findings uh, basically saying back to them what they said to us, but in a much more strategic format, make sure that we're all aligned in uh, our, our, our creative thinking. And at the conclusion of that divine phase, we will present uh, what we call brand positioning strategies. Essentially, what are the big ideas that we can uh, explore in the design phase? So any particular team, uh, if they already have a nickname set, there could be perhaps three different distinct approaches that we can take for how that character or team name comes to life. And so those are represented through these mood boards in the defined phase that once the client signs off on that, then we essentially have the green light to move uh, full bore into putting pencil to paper. Uh, I'm very old school. We start with all pencil sketches uh, to begin, typically looking at 
uh, what the primary mark would look like since that contains type it contains the character and uh, is the most efficient way to really get a feel for how each of those different ideas could really come to life and help an owner who many owners are very creative many may not be and so it helps to be able to envision that concept in a more complete format as far as that lockup primary mark and then from there after they review those initial marks typically there's a couple of contenders that rise to the surface and uh, the process just kind of uh, builds momentum from there based on what they're drawn to like i said it all sort of feels like magic to me so it's uh you know <laughs> that's what i love well it's, i mean the, the idea of being able to take i mean at the end of the day the discover phase typically lasts many days you're taking notes that are many pages long you have input from all these different folks and stakeholders that are all different ages and backgrounds and uh, they all bring all these different experiences to the table and somehow you have to take all that information and content and visual inspiration and distill it into this singular icon or a singular mark so there is an in essence, there is an element of magic involved with uh, being able to do that. Do you find that you have to educate clients a, a certain amount in, in scaling back their expectations of how much you can include in one logo? Most definitely. Like I said, it's, I mean, we've been doing this almost 20 years or so now, if you want to, you know, use kind of a round number. So during that span, you know, we've interacted, not that we've seen it all, but seen a lot <laughs> and yeah. a lot of different owners a lot of different gms a lot of different athletic directors that may have their own it's a very subjective field obviously um but there are certain design principles that really ground the foundation of of whatever we're building at the end of the day it has to be legible it has to work well at small sizes as well as large sizes there's some basic fundamentals involved with the uh with the craft and so I'd say a handful of times, uh, I think the more that the design industry has grown and this has become more of a mainstream uh, field for the masses, if you will, to be able to interact with case studies and designers and different agencies, I think it's become much more understood uh, on a broad level how the most succinct logos are the most effective. But inevitably you will have certain, uh, certain clients where it's important to educate them. And the best way that I've found to do this is by using visual examples of other teams. And so whether it's teams we've done or other classic marks that may exist that really illustrate the point of why simplicity is key or whatever, you know, color count or thread count, other things like that, that could play sure. a role. Sure. Some of your your logos, I really like the Holly Springs salamanders one. Maybe that's just because I, I, I like salamanders. I like this logo <laughs> aesthetically. I love how the type the salamander type relates to the form of the the salamander itself. So I really, I really enjoyed that logo. And that really fits in with what you're describing with these, you know, sort of simpler, simpler logos. Certainly the New Britain Bees does. Some of your your more recent ones have been a little bit more um, detailed, uh, certainly with the the fairy hawks and and the zookeepers in particular. With the the zookeepers who play in Ashboro, their brand is based on the fact that the you know they've got a very significant zoo right there in town that's the main tourist attraction. The ferry hawks they lost the Staten Island Yankees and you know they have this sort of defiant you know the ferry hawk character feels sort of defiant to me right like so to put it mildly Paul <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's talk let's talk about the ferry hawks then um, this is this was very well received when it came out. You know that obviously Staten Island, they they sort of famously lost their affiliation with the Yankees, and then the team itself folded, and they were replaced with the with the Ferry Hawks, an independent professional team. And so, 
Can you talk about sort of what you were charged with in creating this this defiant hawk character and what your what your you know thinking was going into that brand? Well, this was a fun project. I'm we're based in northern New Jersey, right outside of Staten Island. So the very familiar with the region and the area. Um, hadn't really spent a lot of time on Staten Island, but certainly uh, neighbors of ours where it was easy to uh, converse in person uh, throughout the process and get a really good feel for. Um, you know, what, what the look was that we were supposed to uh, create here. Uh, big shout out to Eric Shuffler, uh, owner of the team. It was really his vision for how to conduct this particular process. Um, a lot of staff that he hired for that, for that club. It's all about being Staten Island based with Staten Island natives and really be symbolic of the, the collective uh, spirit of, of that borough. And so uh, their approach was to do a name the team contest, engage the community, um, you know, we were there to consult along the way and provide some direction, but ultimately it was a fan submitted name uh, that really uh, won out in the name Fairy Hawks. We were trying to figure out ways that we could leverage these natural landmarks that already existed that were associated with the island. So the Staten Island Ferry uh, certainly is the most iconic uh, symbol associated with Staten Island from a, from a global standpoint. And so that was something that the name allowed us to really uh, kind of pull into the identity and 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 and, and capitalize on. Um, but from the very beginning, uh, Eric and the team were very 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 clear. This this needed to be a uh, a, a hot character that that wasn't messing around. This was uh, there's almost kind of this chip on the shoulder mentality. If you're from Staten Island, they're really a lot of times overlooked within the borough system of New York City. And uh, this underdog mentality was something we could really lean into uh, with the character. And so that was really, that really informed the entire look and feel of the identity. It needed to be rich with Staten Island imagery and it needed to really have this, uh, this defiant uh, underdog spirit, if you will, backwards cap, uh, punching home plate, bat on the shoulder uh, with those Staten Island symbols behind it. Absolutely, yeah. That's uh, and you talked uh, early on about the uh, the blue and the orange of the the New York Knicks logo. This obviously there's browns and oranges and there's a couple of different blues, but that's that same sort of complementary pairing that you see in the uh, in the Knicks for sure. It's you know that sort of bold complementary color. And that color was, yeah, that was a great call, Paul. And that was born right from the blue and orange of the of the fairy, and uh, so that's that's where that came from. And then another kind of fun layer to the identity is their park system is known as the Green Belt on the interior of the island, and so from the very beginning. Uh, the idea was to be representative of the entire borough. And so while the ferry is certainly that leading symbol on the perimeter of the island in the in the harbor, there's the interior of the island that uh, is really uh, that the Greenbelt Park system uh, has a big part of. And so the, if you look closely at the character, uh, it was vital from the very beginning that that hawk be wearing a baseball uniform with a green belt as, nice. a, as a subtle nod to that Greenbelt Park system. Now, when the in the logo where the the hawk is is hitting a a ball over the ferry, sort of towards the Statue of Liberty, there's there's a green sort of a greenish tint to the water. There is that the same color as his belt? Yes, it would. Yes, believe so. Yes, we have the, okay. the two blues. Uh, I guess yeah, the, the teal, the light blue, the orange, and then the rock gray, since the island is known as the Rock. Right. Uh, of course. Nice. One other note, Paul, on the ferry hawks mark that we we're talking about with the ferry hawk hitting the home run into New York Harbor over the Statue of Liberty in the ferry. That was a, uh, a reference to Bobby Thompson 
and his iconic shot heard around the world for the Giants to win the 1951 pennant. He was, uh, he lived on Staten Island and was a native Staten Islander, even though he was not born there. And so uh, as baseball has such deep roots in the Northeast and the New York area, uh, that was our way to um, pay tribute to Staten Island's baseball lore by featuring that same, that same pose uh, for the Ferry Hawk in a fun, in a fun alternate logo. So shout out to Bobby Thompson and the shot her around the world. All right. Well, so that's, that's a relatively recent one that you've done. And then the, the zookeepers was, was another one. And I actually have a specific question about the zookeepers, but in general, uh, this is a, you know, here's a primary logo that has five characters, right? Like, I mean, it has at, at least five, is it five or six? It's uh, the snake, the elephant, the giraffe, the rhino, and the, and the zookeeper. So you've got five characters in one primary logo, which is, which is a lot, you know, and you're conveying the sort of whole notion of the, the zoo. To me, the, the zookeeper himself looks like he's sort of leading these animals through the foliage to, to freedom here, right? So right. this logo is a bit more involved than some of your other ones that you've done. There's a, there's a lot more detail. There's five characters. Is there, is there a reason why the, the team wanted to go with sort of more characters rather than just settling on the zookeeper himself? So a big part of, of these projects is the understanding that there is a logo system. Rarely nowadays will you ever just hang your hat on one particular mark. And so knowing that there are typically designations within a logo system of which logos will be used on a cap, which logos will be used uh, on, a, on a sleeve, which ones will be set aside just for merchandise and kind of a large t-shirt graphic or a billboard uh, graphic, et cetera. And so this was a scenario where uh, when you weigh the pros and the cons of having more characters versus less, uh, we really saw this as an opportunity to um, designate specific marks for the uniform where you needed to have a much more succinct and simple mark where we landed with a ZK with the uh, zookeeper hat hanging off of the K that really became their Yankees NY, if you will. Um, and this, uh, but there was too much opportunity to have uh, some kind of a mark that was an encapsulation of the zoo itself to leave on the on the cutting room floor just from the standpoint of uh knowing what our audience was knowing that we're really trying to build this relationship between the club and and the local zoo uh the north carolina zoo and and so this was one of those instances where that upside of having a mark that was very disruptive when you see it you remember it it's uh it's the type of mark that you don't easily forget and so it leaves an impression when most teams have a singular animal mascot, if they use an animal as their nickname, this was an opportunity to distinguish uh, this particular franchise in the sea of other animal related nicknames in minor league baseball. Again, with the understanding that rarely would it ever be used in a small application that was just kind of uh, something that was clear from the beginning, it had to be designated for larger applications. But again, the upside of having all of those characters in play gave us the ability to tell this zoo, fun zoo story, and also opened up the potential to allow different characters to take the lead role in annual campaigns. So for example, each year we could feature one of those particular characters in a dynamic alternate logo. And it really gives them an endless supply of different opportunities uh, for those kind of promotions, if you will. My very specific question about this brand is, is the reason that one of the characters is a snake 
Uh, that may be a terrible sentence, but uh, but hopefully you can follow me here. The the reason that you have a snake as one of the five characters in this logo is that a wink and a nod to the fact that the team used to be the Ashboro Copperheads. Exactly. Good it call. is. Okay, yes. good. <laughs> I was yes. wondering. It's a fun Easter egg. Plays to the tribute to the, tribute to the team without uh, without being uh, kind of a square on reference with it being an actual Copperhead. Right. Yeah. It's not too heavy handed for sure. Okay, the the one more baseball logo that I wanted to ask you about is the Tri-Cities Chili Peppers uh, are a really fun logo with three different colored. You've got the green, the red, the yellow chili pepper characters there. That that logo, I you, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say in your minor league baseball work that that is your wackiest logo in the sort of era of of minor league, of wacky minor league baseball logos where we are now that one feels like like your wackiest work <laughs> can you talk about that project a little bit and sort of the, the thinking that went into creating those 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 fun chili peppers characters yeah so again that was an opportunity to run with a nickname that was supplied by the team following a name the team contest uh, a fan submitted name uh, chili peppers and their uh, their owner chris martin kind of led the charge there when uh, giving us the mark, just felt like there was a, a lot of fun potential that existed there. Again, very disruptive name, something that would stand out from um, kind of your standard um, classic nicknames within within the CPL uh, to that point. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so our challenge really became, how do we take a symbol in a chili pepper that really has no direct tie-in to the Tri-City, Tri-Cities and make it feel like an authentic brand that those folks could really latch on to as a fan base and feel like it was their team, their identity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it all became again about how, what's this story that we're trying to tell. And so uh, pretty early on, we landed on this idea of it not just being a singular chili pepper, but instead being one pepper for each of those cities. And so three peppers uh, kind of came together to um, form this fun mark, one with a baseball, one uh, pitching and one kind of fielding a ground ball, if you will. So again, give them a lot of opportunities to then pull out each of those characters and use them in an isolated format for secondary marks. And again, let that red red uh, chili pepper be the lead, be the lead for the brand. I have sort of a sweeping question about minor league baseball branding that I want to that I want to ask you. But before we do, I wanted to ask you about one of my favorite logos that you've done outside the the realm of minor league baseball branding, which is the, the UC Santa Cruz banana slugs, obviously sort of an outrageous fun nickname in the, in the collegiate sports world. How, what, what is your approach to creating what is ultimately, you know, the name notwithstanding a pretty serious logo for a kind of ridiculous nickname. What's your, what's your approach in creating a brand like the, like the banana slugs? Wow. That's, it's such a, there is such an instinctive quality to it. Um, in again, rarely do you jump into a project and just hit the ground running pencil to paper. And I think part of the reason, one of the reasons that you do that is it really takes some time to let a, a particular project marinate and certainly some projects you have more time than others, but that strategic thinking on the front end and setting a solid course for the most effective way to take on a project is what is going to lead to the most successful uh, identity projects. And so we really set aside that chunk of time at the beginning of a project to do just that. And in the case of Santa Cruz, that time where we spent on campus, we learned about their history, how the name came to be in the first place, which was through a student-led referendum, 
rebelling against the chancellor's uh, submission of seals being the nickname. The students, you know, rose up and uh, essentially uh, <laughs> shot down that name, put forth banana slug, since that was how they had identified within their community uh, up until that point. Although informally, that was really the moniker that they had always associated with themselves with. And so just learning that backstory really fueled and inspired uh, our vision for how this identity could come to life. And kind of this, again, fine balance between an athletic and recreation department that wants to be taken seriously and attract student athletes that are competing at the highest level of division three, contrasted with, you know, a broader pop culture standing that the, that the nickname has when you think about uh, um, Pulp Fiction, uh, with John Travolta and, and, and Samuel L. Jackson, you know, that's how a lot of the rest of the world sees the nickname Banana Slug. So there's kind of this fun line, fine line between uh, the balance of athletic poise and, and, and kind of the stoic nature and bold fierceness with it's got to feel fun. It's got to have kind of this whimsical nature to it with a name like that. And so uh, we thought the, the best way to go through a project like this would be to uh, really pay tribute to how the original nickname came to be in the first place, which was with it being a student-led uh, endeavor. And so we knew at the end of the day, one way or another, these students were going to either, uh, they were gonna be vocal one way or another, either positively or negatively. And we figured why not get them on our side at the beginning of the process and use that uh, insider uh, perspective to really guide uh, the direction of the creative. At the end of the day, we would still have uh, kind of the final say in regard to what the visual looked like, but being able to captivate this audience and bring them along for the ride was a way that we could build some momentum for the project and empower that fan base and give them a sense of ownership. When it was unveiled, it was something that we all created together. At the end of the day, I'm not from Santa Cruz. I'm an experienced uh, brand designer and that's our specialty, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, they're the ones that have lived and breathed this brand for decades. And so that's where it was important to uh, integrate uh, the students and the community into that process. So uh, in, in full Santa Cruz form, we did a fully transparent uh, campaign to elect the new banana slug inspired by the 2020 election. This was a, a process that unfolded during that entire 2019-2020 uh, academic year. And uh, basically each week would put out different polls showing different designs that all factored in fan input. We would have areas where we would quote different submissions that that the student athletes and the students gave us and that was all public it was all yeah. fully out there and allowed for them part of their uh, objectives in the process was to build brand awareness nationally yeah. and so this was again strategically uh, done where a public public process was a way to achieve just that and so it really was this beautiful synergy between letting those student athletes and community weigh in our creative influence and expertise balanced with kind of the internal athletic and recreation department's desire to have this fierce slug that still leaned into that uh, very fun nickname. Well, I, I, like I said, this is a podcast about minor league baseball, but I just, I had to ask about the banana slugs because it's such a classic nickname and that, you know, that logo turned out really great. And it's my, my daughter at the time of this recording, I'm a week away from driving my daughter to Gonzaga for her freshman year. Excellent. And uh, she's, you know, so they all just graduated high school and, and she's got friends going to UC Santa Cruz. And so I'm just like, pick me up a banana slugs t-shirt. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, all right. So my, my sort of last question for you regarding 
your work in minor league baseball is you've been doing this for 20 years. The landscape, the minor league baseball logo branding landscape has changed quite a bit in that 20 years. In particular, you know, there, there are a lot more sort of collegiate summer level teams doing high-end design work, high-end logo work that, you know, I know that you've been involved with. That was not the case 20 years ago. A lot of independent teams are, are you know, hiring high-end firms like Sky Design to create brands. But then also just in general, you know, regardless of the level of minor league baseball that you're talking about, the logos have gotten more outrageous, more striking, more trying to carve out their own little niche in, uh, you know, this increasingly wacky landscape. How has your approach to creating these brands and working with teams changed over the years because of that, or has it? So I guess this question kind of delves into our kind of the 30,000 foot level from design in general, because yeah. we, when I set out to do this, it was never to focus specifically on baseball or specifically on minor league baseball. My vision all along was to build a company one day that would be a leading uh, agency in the sports branding uh, landscape mm -hmm. and working on everything. I think part of the credibility of being a leader in an industry is having uh having clients in every category of that industry. So everything from international projects with soccer to uh, professional teams and leagues and minor league teams, leagues, collegiate space, et cetera. Uh, it was all vital to be able to be able to position ourselves in a way that it didn't matter the project, our style would uh, adapt to whatever the proper solution was for any particular client. So for example, we do a lot of work with major league baseball where it's a much more refined look and feel, obviously a much more major league approach, which is a heavy contrast to the minor league look. Mm -hmm. And to, to kind of circle back on your question, I think that's the biggest thing that I picked up on early on in my career was this contrast where it's not about your personal style being, um, being used on, you know, no matter the client, it's more about adapting to whatever that particular category of the industry is what's the particular motif or genre or look and feel that is the most successful that's going to lead to the best results for that particular client and the best designers have that dynamic ability to uh, truly uh, uh, be flexible to fit any one of those looks and so with minor league baseball I think just with my background having been a student of the game if you will from the very beginning you know, I was exposed to any logo I could look up, get my hands on, uh, learn about. And so I had been very familiar with all of the different styles of marks uh, throughout the history of, of sports in general. And so it became, I guess, I guess it was a much easier transition when it came time to be uh, kind of the person in the professional seat, so to speak, and take off that hat as a fan and uh, really learn how to uh you know, create those marks that fit the particular genre and what that genre called for in the case of minor league baseball being very fun over the top uh, and family friendly, which uh, shout out to Clark Eckhoff and, and Jesse Boulder, who were the first two uh, GMs and owners that hired me uh, when I was on the creamer boards, did the Wisconsin woodchucks at the time uh, and the Springfield sliders. Those were my first two teams. Nice. And I got a very early education as far as how minor league baseball works even though those, those were collegiate summer league teams, technically not affiliated clubs, uh, these were uh, experienced 
owners and GMs within the baseball industry. And so I got an early lesson from them as to the reasons why this is the look that has really taken off uh, in recent years within, within minor league baseball. And maybe that's why this recent trend in the last decade or so of what you would say are wacky minor league team names and logos hasn't phased me as much as my favorite team growing up was named the Sea Dogs and it was a logo, same one they have today, just recolored, but basically half dog, half seal, uh, a dog with flippers. <laughs> so that was my favorite team. So I was already kind of in that place of these hybrid nicknames, uh, if you will. But it's funny at the time too, there was, I forget where I even found it. I, it had to have been the local library. It's probably 11 or 12 at the time, uh, mid to late nineties. And this, this book called the sports logo encyclopedia, it's probably an inch or two thick, just this massive book that was essentially a directory of every sports logo at all levels in professional and minor league sports in, in North America. So you had a lot of Canadian teams, a lot of American teams in all of these from the major leagues all the way down to some of these very, very obscure roller hockey leagues and arena football leagues, et cetera. So just studying every single mark that you had in there, there was a, there was some pretty wacky stuff. <laughs> so wacky names and a lot of, uh, kind of off the wall ideas and, and looks that nowadays are just starting to emerge on a broader level at, on some of these uh, higher profile minor league teams. Uh, but, but at the time, I think it was just so hungry to pursue all of any, any sports logo related material I could get my hands on that at an early age, I was exposed to a lot of those very untraditional nicknames and, and looks that some of these other minor league teams and other sports were using. And even at the time, minor league baseball, you had the Everett Aqua Sox, the Lansing Lugnuts, the Montgomery Biscuits. You know, there was plenty of other teams that were already doing some, um, you know, pretty, pretty uh, uh, unorthodox branding, if you will. So um, I guess I was so close to it that by the time it became more of a mainstream phenomenon, you know, it was already something I had grown accustomed to within that space. I wanted to mention, you know, I, I talked to Dan Simon quite a bit because, you know, he's, he's been on the podcast before and he created the logo for, for my podcast. And he did the, you know, when the Woodchucks rebranded, he was very particular to say on a number of occasions how, you know, he really enjoyed the, the, the logo that was being replaced. He really liked it. He said, you know, I said, this was, you know, this is a good logo. And he says, you know, we're, we're updating it in certain ways, but it, you know, it was, it was a good logo that Sky Dillon created. So he, he yeah. said that a handful of times when I, when I talked to him about that logo. I appreciate that. Part of my journey when I was younger was I had to, um, part of my uh, requirement for graphic design as a major was to have an internship during my junior year. Mm -hmm. And so for that, for that year, I had obviously to that point studied all the different agencies and companies and independent designers that worked in this field. And that was my chance to write each of them a letter to say, Hey, can I intern with you? And so that was my first engagement with Dan, with the guys at Brandios, with Todd Radom, with uh, fan brands, Joe Bosack, sure. like the sure. whole, the whole crew. And so I would consider all of them contemporaries and colleagues and, and, and friends, you know, it's, yeah. it's when, when these teams evolve and change identities, it's not necessarily an indictment on 
the previous identity by any means, a lot of times it's new ownership looking to put a fresh stamp on whatever they're sure. doing. Sure. And our job as professionals is again, we're there to solve their problems and help them be as successful as possible. So our job, if they want a busy logo because they have to have three different iconic landmarks in the mark, yeah. well, it's our job creatively to find a way to do that. We're the professionals. If we're good at what we do, we can make that work. So we're all about, we're in the customer service business. You know? <laughs> Something else that I, that I would say is um, when I referenced all of the different colleagues in the industry, you know, those are the guys, those are the companies that, those are the, were the designers that inspired me in a lot of ways to pursue this uh, at a professional level. It was the combination of uh, the logos themselves that were being um, used for these different franchises and teams. But then the more I learned about where these logos were coming from and the different designers behind them, that's where I really developed an even deeper passion for the industry and started to build these personal relationships with um, with different colleagues and companies. And uh, I think that's the beauty of the industry is that along the way, we're always learning from the generation before us and at the same time, trying to inspire the generation behind us. And so that's something where we've really embraced as a company trying to attract top new talent and inspire inspire young designers and other other talent that's out there. Uh, to be able to continue moving this industry forward um, in the form of our agency and, and the different projects that we're working on. Awesome. Well, Sky, I, I have to say, I really look forward to the day when I get to cover Sky Design Studios, new Los Angeles Clippers and Minnesota Wild logos <laughs> <laughs> for sportslogos.net. But no, it's been, I mean, it's been a total blast following the work that you've been doing for you know for for collegiate summer level teams for independent teams for the sports branding you know world at large i know we focused pretty heavily uh, on your minor league baseball work but you know if, if folks go to your website uh, which is skydesignstudios.com s-k-y-e designstudios.com you know great portfolio there fun to, you know if you're into logos and branding you know scroll through there and you'll see all sorts of work uh, that 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 you've been working on where else, Sky, can people find you on, on the socials? So we're pretty uh, pretty light on social media. We only have a Twitter feed for the time being, and I believe our handle is at Sky Dillon, so at S-K-Y-E-D-I-L-L-O-N. Sky, this was a ton of fun. I'm really glad that we got to catch up in person, such as it is. I'll, I'll look forward to talking to you again soon for the podcast. Yeah, yeah it sounds great. Appreciate awesome. it, Paul. Thanks, Sky. Take care. See you.